Hello fellow imperfectionists and welcome back to another episode of Picking at Perfection. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I am beyond pleased to welcome a very good friend of mine, Annette Jukes. Annette is a freelance graphic designer by trade who originally started out in the publishing industry. Shortly into her career she moved into the promotional and design element, eventually going on to manage a web and multimedia studio before going freelance in 2010. Since then she's built up the wonderful brand that is Small Prints Design, which provides all aspects of graphic design for print, digital and even live events, which is of course how we met. Her services are incredibly broad, including logo creation, brand management, photoshopping, presenter slide support, and running live events. And she is of course responsible for the stunning branding that we have here at Picking at Perfection that we are both very, very proud of. But just before we get into the full episode, I have something super exciting to announce. So I'm very pleased to say that Net has teamed up with me in order to run a competition in relation to this episode. She is very kindly offering her amazing design services to create one lucky winner, a logo for their brand, completely free of charge. So do make sure you listen all the way to the end of the episode to hear about how you can enter and for the competition terms and conditions. But with that huge announcement out of the way, let's get on with the main episode and we'll talk more about the competition at the very end. So huge welcome to you, Annette. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Alistair. It's great to be here. Ever since we got in touch at the beginning of the planning for the brand, I have been dreaming up this episode. So for me, it's super highly anticipated. So as always, I love to kick us off with a quote. Have you read the book by Margaret Atwood, Oryx and Craig? Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. It's a very dystopian um, and it's about a guy who tries to create the ultimate human race. Um, It's completely fictional, obviously. But there's a scene in the book when someone is considering and judging the attractiveness of this perfect human race that's been created and the character says it was the thumbprints of human imperfection that used to move him the flaws in the design which I just absolutely love because I'm completely agree like to what extent do you agree because obviously your job is so focused and your business is so focused around visual appearance well firstly let me say great quote secondly I'd have to say I definitely agree that it is the flaws in people that make them more interesting interesting and not just um, from an emotional point of view, but definitely from a visual point of view. Um, I did an event not so long ago um, that is a great example of this. And it was an event for a Botox procedure. And part of this, they had a sculptor there who had the face of a young person sculpted in clay. And then over 20 minutes of live sculpting, he changed the face by moving the clay into that of an old woman. And it was absolutely fascinating to see how the features in the face moved over that time. But also the older the face got and the more flaws and imperfections that were in it, the more interesting it looked visually. And the sculptor himself was describing how it's the story of somebody's life shown in the way that their face has aged, which I thought was really interesting, very profound and also much better looking than a face that is completely perfect. I love that. Very interesting to have that at a Botox. Did you say convention or event? It was a, it was an event. So was he there like, as just out of interest, was he there pro Botox? Because he sounds kind of not pro. 
He was there to help show how correctly administered Botox could improve a face and help to lift parts of it. What he was trying to show was that a little bit of help to the face could be beneficial from a visual perspective, but that if you take it too far, you lose all of the things that makes that face unique and beautiful. Oh, okay, I love that. So that kind of pretty much agrees with the quote there. That's perfect. So speaking of perfect then, what is your personal definition of the word perfection? Well, I think I used to feel that in order to be perfect in life, it meant ticking all the boxes at once. So you could say fitness and money, you know, a great career, uh, a, a good level of creativity, traveling everywhere that I wanted to go. But over time, I've realized it's impossible to juggle all those balls at once and to feel fulfilled in all those areas at one time. So now I think it's much more about personal contentment in the space and time that you're in and also allowing for all the factors going on around you. So in the current climate, obviously, there's a lot going on for everyone with COVID-19. And I think you have to cut yourself slack when you need it in certain areas, whilst focusing on the positives and the strengths in others. I love that. And that's a really good point. I think it would be fair to say then you're not striving for a perfect life, more of like a holistic, to use a good word. Yeah, and going just with the waves and the flows of what's working at a certain time. So doing what you do and being so focused mainly on visual content, as we sort of seen a snippet of there as well, and it's not always about personal appearance, but obviously designing logos and visual content. I imagine you come up against, or, or maybe you don't, do you, do you have clients that have sort of perfect expectations what, what is the majority of people's take on that? Do they come with something they have in mind or do they just let you have free reign? I think some people have a really strong idea of what they're looking for, but I try to remember that everyone's perception of their kind of ideal design or logo is different and it's more about them going away happy than it is what I might deem to be something visually appealing to me. So usually I would try to work with them to get a feel for what they're trying to convey, what message they want their visual identity to give, and then work on something that when they see it, they feel really passionate about and that helps infuse them about their own business. I don't think that people come to me looking for a perfect logo. I think they come to me looking for their version of a perfect logo for them. So. I try to give only designs that I'm happy with and that I'm proud of, but it's not always possible to do that if you want to maintain a business. So as long as my client feels that what I've designed for them is a good match, then that's all that really matters. That makes total sense because something we talk about on this podcast a lot is that perfection is just a perception. So it varies from person to person. So it would only make sense that someone's perfect logo for their business in their mind obviously varies person to person. And I guess it's quite a task to transition that or transfer someone else's thoughts and ideas into a visual concept yourself. Exactly, because visual things are so personal as well. It's the same as if you're decorating a room in your house and you go to a DIY store and you try to pick out a colour of paint that you like. Every person that you know, every friend that you have, would walk down that aisle and pick out a different colour for a different reason because it 
makes them feel a certain way or because they're drawn to it for a particular reason that day or because they've seen it somewhere and I think visual inspiration for people is very personal so one person's perfect is another person's I would never have that in my house no I completely agree and I love from having done the design process with you I love that you have like the pre-questionnaire so I can't even remember some of the questions but like colors that you like logos that you like I think that was really clever I don't know if that's even a standard thing but I suppose for me I never having entered the process myself I kind of went in I don't know I just thought that the designs would not automatically but just come back I didn't even think how much input I would have in it if that makes sense yeah I do um actually I've got that questionnaire to hand and some of the things that I ask about are if you have logo styles that you already have seen and loved or if you have fonts that you're particularly drawn to or um, if there's any symbols or illustrations or even just thoughts in your mind where you've thought about the branding that you want to go forward with often people have got a picture of it in their mind but if you don't ask about it they don't always convey that to you when saying oh I want a brand I want a logo for my business they don't necessarily say and I've got a Pinterest board with 400 pictures that I've already picked out <laughs> the information isn't willingly offered. <laughs> I was just about to say it sounds like it that has come from a place of experience like I'm guessing somewhere in the past you've designed logos and people have said oh no that's not how I've imagined it here's some designs I've already or some rough sketches I've already done for it or was that something similar yeah absolutely absolutely and to be honest with you it's great to get as much information as possible and you can get to know a person by the mood boards that they have put together for a project like that like at the moment I'm designing something for um, a lady who does interior design and she sent me so much visual information you wouldn't believe and um, but all of it looks amazing because she's obviously got a visual eye and designing for you was much easier because I know you as a person which means I've got a little bit of an insight as to how you think and the things that you like and uh, what you might be drawn to so that was extra info for me but if I've never met the person before then I don't really have a starting point and that's what those questions help me to get. Mm, definitely in terms of this is something we've talked about in the past as well personally but in terms of the information you get across because during the process I found myself sort of frustrated and I don't know if it's me in terms of actually putting my thoughts down in in written form because it's so hard to talk about something that is a visual form writing it in an email so I sent across pdfs and stuff that i'd scribbled all over and things like that in you know no professional manner but it was just my <laughs> atrocious handwriting do you get that a lot like do you find because i struggle with articulation some people say that i'm i'm quite articulate but i personally find it difficult because i do get caught up in my words especially when writing them down in some senses do you find like a lot of clients do they come with with drawings to help you out because i know you said that that is kind of sometimes preferable a lot of people don't do that but i think more people should mm. because a sketch on a napkin can tell you much more than three paragraphs of text and that's actually why usually i ask people to give me some examples say of a few logos they really love and then a few logos they really hate because often people will know what they definitely don't like even if they don't know what they do like and that's just as helpful love that I don't think I got that question <laughs> what logos do I hate <laughs> is it more fun to give ones you hate than than ones you like because I think people probably have a, a stronger opinion on hate than they do on love sometimes yeah I think probably depends on the type of person you are 
but feel free to send me some logos that you hate (laughs) (laughs) excellent so coming back to what you were talking about how your idea of a client's perfect logo is often different to what their idea of a perfect logo is so on some level do you have to kind of practice letting go and just as you said for the benefit of your business you have to provide them with what they want not necessarily what you think is best is that quite difficult it can be difficult for me definitely because I think we've talked about this before in that when I deliver a logo design specifically I normally give somewhere between three and five different options to a person and within those five there's always going to be one that I think this is the logo that client should choose and then another one that's at the bottom of that pile of this is the one I really hope that they don't pick because it's not my favorite there's like a secret right answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's really difficult because often someone will come back obviously and maybe pick the one that, that you don't feel as strongly about but I try to in the end after going through a process of changing it and amending it and working with that client to make it work for them and their business, um, I would hope that 99 times out of 100, it can still be something that I'm proud of, even if it isn't something that I visually really love. And I think you probably cope a little bit by finding humour in it as well. (laughs) I don't know, obviously this one, this case that we're talking about recently, we have definitely had a few funny conversations with (laughs) Scott, your husband in the background, (laughs) chiming in. I mean, that definitely helps because my husband is a graphic designer as well. So if I'm really struggling with... um, input on something then I can get his point of view too and we often don't agree actually from a a visual point of view oh okay that's interesting I think well humor is a good release for anything so so I feel like for me even being in the events industry so I find it hard and this is no great secret of letting go of little things and I'm massively guilty of sweating the small stuff so I pride myself on like minutiae and attention to detail and things like that and so in all areas of my life I'm constantly looking at not necessarily things that are wrong but things that could be done better so I have a really maybe critical would be the right word a really critical eye now if I think of that applied in sort of the practical elements of my life applying that to what you do and a visual perspective and everything sort of that you tailor to be visually perfect or what some people perceive as visually perfect how on earth do you cope with not everything looking visually perfect if that makes sense like do you look at talking about logos that you hate do you look at things and go oh my god I wish they just centered that or you know they should have put it a little bit to the left (laughs) does that like is it a frustrating process (laughs) I think uh, in that sense we're we're exactly the same and I think you have to be precise you have to have an attention to detail mindset to do what I do in events, definitely, because you've got something on screen that's being repeated over and over. So you notice the little changes in that if they're not consistent. But I think, especially for events, it's much more about the overall look rather than just one moment in time so I try to remember that from an audience point of view they've got no idea what's meant to happen and often a mistake that goes on behind the scenes goes unnoticed by the people watching and I think that's a really important thing to remember in life as well actually for me especially is that my husband's always saying nobody knows what's going on with you on the inside So you might appear to other people to be nearly perfect on the outside and uh, not even realise that that's how you're coming across. Mm -hmm. 
No, I love that. I completely agree. Rob says the same thing to me. He's like, because I can phone him on site sometimes being like, oh my God, everything's gone wrong. This happened. You know, the coffee break was late. You know, really small, not real problems. I think sometimes you just have to take a rain check and put things into perspective. Like the coffee break wasn't on time. You know, there's a lot more, a lot bigger problems in the world. But I can phone him and be like, oh my God, everything's gone so wrong. And he'll just say to me like, but but did your client notice? Did any of the end users notice? And I go, oh no, well, I kind of, you know, fixed it or we got it out in time or, you know, it was literally like five seconds that, that noticed. And he was like, you have to sort of manage the bigger picture in that element and the sort of manage what the impact is versus what you've done to fix it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, I think it's very easy um, if you're a self-critical type of person to look at the one thing that didn't go as you wanted it to, instead of looking at the other 99 things that have gone flawlessly or that you already fixed. You know, I, I definitely know that from a slide point of view, I can work on maybe a couple of hundred slides over a couple of weeks before an event starts. And I've literally gone through it with a fine tooth comb and made everything look great. But then you can get on site and the first person that sees it will look at it and say, oh, that's not the right colour. God. And you sort of forget all of the positive work that you've done Mm. because you're like, oh, somebody's just walked in and and found that one thing that's wrong with it, which sometimes I do find quite difficult to deal with. Don't you just hate those people, though, when they get on site and they find just the one tiny thing that's wrong and point it out and you're like, oh, my God. But yeah, you're right. You have to look at it as a percentage and a bigger picture of you know, like 99% of the slides were, you know, all brutally formatted and things like that. It was just that one thing that was right. And would an audience member notice? Because they probably don't know the brand rules and things like that. Obviously, there's the image and the perspective that the end user and company want to put out there. But are any of the participants of the meeting really checking, you know, the company's brand colours and guidelines while they're watching the meeting? Not really. No, and I think so many of them walk into somewhere where a set has been built and once it's got lighting and graphics up and maybe, you know, from my point of view, I might think, oh, the graphics could have been slightly better quality or they could have been hung 10 centimetres higher or, you know, something like that. But uh, an audience member walks in, sees the whole thing and the impact of that is really positive and it looks fantastic and the lights, you know, lift it all and they're there to participate in something really cool. And um, so it just doesn't it doesn't matter that those tiny details, I just don't think are seen by the wider audience. Mm. I think we'll just be forever our worst critics on, on that front <laughs> or every, not just us, <laughs> everyone in events, probably. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I remember on one of the early jobs that we worked together, you mentioned you'd done some Photoshop work. I think we were looking at the infamous, was it Vanity Fair cover that had all that? It was, yes. it was. Yeah, because I used to do um, magazine cover Photoshopping. That was one of my first jobs in publishing. So you were looking through, and yeah, I think it was fairly infamous and, and well publicised that the, the Photoshopping on this front cover had gone particularly wrong I think it was 2018 I want to say it was like and it was for the Oscars wasn't it it was the Oscars shot where they'd got all the winners together I think to take the picture yes so it got quite a bit of publicity I want to bring it up or at least put it in the show notes maybe but someone had like three legs or something like that like it was really even to me who's someone who doesn't photoshop and things I was just could see the blatant errors yeah there was I think maybe Oprah Winfrey perhaps had three hands in one of the shots yes that's and right I want to say it was Reese Witherspoon or someone like that who had an extra leg or an extra <laughs> extra part of a knee <laughs> or something that probably shouldn't have been there <laughs> I think that was the first time for me that kind of emphasize that actually 
someone was trying to photoshop a leg from a different photo onto a new photo like I didn't quite realize <laughs> the illusion that we're perhaps being sold which so I think since then maybe I've um taken away my rose tinted glasses and started looking at the world in a different way so you're fully responsible for that by the way <laughs> oh great I think that's a positive move forward though I, yeah it was really good to look at that because there were so many little things I think the more we looked at that photo the more things you could see had been corrected and not necessarily well mm. again sort of coming back to like the overall picture if you just looked at it as a picture then it, it would probably be fine it would do the trick but I think once you got into the finer details as you said we managed to pick up quite a few things but this is something that absolutely like fascinates me and uh, I'm totally not immune from it myself either the cover photo that we used for my face on the picking up perfection Spotify artwork and things like that I think I took that picture 450 times I've been clearing out my my camera SD card today oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea this that you were into the hundreds <laughs> So talking about this does not make me immune at all. And I'm not on some high pedestal, so it completely affects me. But I have some like probably worrying facts for you. So do you remember the anything in the news about Beautygate where the smartphone that got released, the front camera was automatically filtering people? Yes, I think I have seen some things about this. And the absolute outrage because it was smoothing over the skin automatically, like people weren't opting into it. One, I find that completely crazy that people will willingly press filter on their photo when they are providing the permission, but when it's automatically being done for them, they suddenly don't like it. I find that a bit strange and hypocritical. And also this, the <laughs> absolute stats of this obsession are completely overwhelming because the market leading app has 50 million downloads for its first version. And the second version of it has 60 million with 1 million people subscribing to unlock the extra features. Plastic surgeons in the USA are reporting that 55% of people or patients that come to them bring a filtered photo of themselves so some of these are even like snapchat photos where you know like the ones where it adds like the ears of the is it like a rabbit ear or something like that and then it's still smooth and and adds freckles some of them were even saying that the photos like that got brought to them which is just insane and I think there's now a trend as well about people having their their eye shape altered and widened and it's just like shocking the lengths that will go so what I want to talk about is one what would you say to someone that feels the need to kind of alter those pictures because there's something again we've talked about this and it was on Rob's episode that social media is very much like a highlights reel and the official statement that comes from these companies when they're sort of asked for comment is their app is out there for people to use as they wish they're not dictating that people have to do it and I think the actual quote is social media is not a reality show. It's a director's cut of your life. Some people are more successful in creating the director's cut than others. So is there anything you'd say to people that are using these apps in terms of maybe having more body confidence or, you know, with your experience of having done photoshops for magazine covers in the, in the past, is there any advice you give to people that feel the need to sort of modify how they look on photos? Okay. So I think this probably has less to do with me as a designer and more to do with me as a person. So from a personal perspective, um, as you know, I used to be a much bigger lady and have lost a significant amount of weight over time, about 70 pounds. And what I can say about that now is that I didn't like my photo taken before and a lot of the time I still don't like it taken now. So I think no matter how much you are altering pictures or not altering them 
the real message is if you're not happy with yourself the rest is sort of irrelevant it's about finding a confidence in you being you we were talking about sort of aging with the clay earlier people almost don't want to age and i understand that there is you know a lot of emphasis placed on youth and yes obviously it is it's nice to be young but i think there's something good to say about aging naturally as well and just you know just letting nature take its course in a way i think you're talking about your comment about just accept you know being happy in yourself i think a lot of that is acceptance of the things that are inevitable yeah and i think there's there's two points with that for me one is that i think as you get older you maybe it's easier to accept yourself more i'm not sure where that comes from but i know i feel more at home as myself now than i ever have Mm. But also, it's also worth remembering that people are much more than a picture. And I think with social media, that gets forgotten quite often. Mm. Um, And as well with with dating apps that are out there now as well, that people are judging a whole person on a, a photo of them, which may or may not have been filtered. But they're kind of getting this preconception in their mind about who this person is when they've never met them. They've literally never had a conversation. They've never sat sat down for a coffee with this person and found out anything about them or got any feel for how they come across as a person or even shaken their hand or shared a greeting. And I find that really sad because a photo can't possibly describe the fullness of a person being met in real life by another person. Mm. That is so true. And I can't remember what I was listening to or reading, but talking about the the dating side of it, something that this person was saying was that the reason there are so many filtered photos and cases of, is it catfishing the phrase? When catfishing, turning up and the person not looking like their photos or whatever, is almost the need to stand out because there is so much choice in our lives now through like the apps, as you say, someone makes an instant judgment, they swipe left or right and they're judging on an instant. So there's so much pressure to stand out through the information that you're putting out there that it's almost like a a new survival of the fittest. It's not, you know, we're not cavemen anymore fighting for um, food. It's like we're fighting for the attention through our social media and our dating applications and things like that. It's just insane. So obviously mental wellbeing has been a recent hot topic and um, the NHS and the government are obviously investing a lot in our mental health. Yeah. Do you think that these companies that are providing the solutions for people to to edit their looks and and possibly alter their appearance and putting more emphasis on what the photo looks like. Do you think that they should have some kind of responsibility or do you think that they should be held on some levels responsible for the problems they're causing? To be honest, I don't think it is the responsibility of the people creating the apps. I think it's a personal responsibility for each person to take care of themselves in the way that works best for them. I think there's too much blame thrown around, perhaps in the wrong direction sometimes, for people just providing a service. At the end of the day, it's my choice and yours whether we use that service or not. Just because someone gives me a box of 12 donuts doesn't mean I have to eat them. Yes. For me, it's almost, it makes me uncomfortable to think, going back to this statement from the leading company of the app or or whichever, the director's cut of your life, some people are more successful in creating the director's cut than others. I'm not sure that we should base success on things like social media and how good someone looks online. Because again, back to the catfishing thing, it it could not be, it might not be real. Do you think 
and I think I know the answer already, but do you think there's a good way to judge people through their online profile? No, absolutely not. Because like you said, it's um, a highlight reel. It's a, a special effects version of that person. And I think having worked with some well-known celebrities in the past and also having worked on designs and things for them, they're often not the people that they seem to be on telly or on social media when you meet them in person. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, I've met some who I've expected to not be very pleasant, who have been the nicest people in the world. And that's what I'm saying about you really have to meet a person and spend some time with them to get to know them. I love that. So more emphasis on meeting people in person rather than the online world that we're creating, which is problematic to talk about in, in these circumstances now, to be honest, because everything at the moment is online. You know, we're recording this online. Every meeting, you know, I think people are sick of joining Skype, Zoom, you know, WebEx, <laughs> everything. I don't want to install another one of those programs on my computer, honestly. <laughs> we should have agreed no, on a standard <laughs> program before this pandemic, people. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I've done exactly the same as you have over the past few weeks, um, every possible uh, web app known to man. But I think what's great about all that tech is it enables us to carry on and to keep in touch with people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's no good substitute for meeting up with a friend and having a hug when you see someone and sitting down and talking face to face without any technology around and I know you said recently that you've been taking some technology free breaks in your day which I think is a fantastic idea as someone who works on a computer pretty much all day every day it's something that I'd like to do more of because I don't think that we see enough of people I don't think we do that enough now. Mm. So it's so all of this virtual contact is a temporary solution, not a substitute. I like that. That's a good good line to finish on. Wonderful. Well, let's lighten the mood, hopefully, to end the podcast as we always do. Can you please tell us the let's start with least perfect thing you've ever done, in your opinion? Well, do you know what? It's that's quite difficult for me to answer because I would have if you'd asked me that five years ago, I think I'd have had lots of examples to give. But my husband, as you know, is a very positive person, a silver lining type of being. And I think over time, he has trained some of that out of me. So now I'm thinking about my least perfect experience, but I can still see positivity in it. I probably would say my wedding perhaps was one of the least perfect things that's happened in my life recently and I think maybe that comes to mind because when you're planning something like that it takes up so much of your time for such a long time and people are constantly asking you about it and I think a lot of people have a massively perfect and precise view of what that day will be down to every little detail and my wedding was nothing like what I expected it to be but despite all of that I feel like it was the right thing at the right time and I married the right man so it wasn't all bad yeah weddings that's a whole nother episode well your wedding story is a whole nother episode in itself and also weddings (laughs) (laughs) weddings is an episode in itself and that is something I thought about actually whilst we plan our upcoming wedding after my recent engagement. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about if someone did help us plan our wedding, maybe having them on the podcast to talk about it because I can't even imagine 
the pressure that well one the bride and groom put on a wedding planner or any kind of element of a wedding but then also like you're right there's just this insurmountable it it comes down to this whole you know it's the only day or it should be the only wedding of your life you know it's such an important day and me and Rob have done some so many chats on it recently just talking about like how much actually the day means to us versus how much it's everyone else's day and versus how much money we actually want to spend on one day of our lives and we're sort of going more for the intimate route and the more piled down kind of side of things and just making it more we're looking for like a kind of more minimal day yeah but then we're talking about how do we manage our family's expectations because it's a wedding almost becomes not just your day but everyone else's I don't know if that's just me but I think there's so many expectations around it and a colleague of mine she was talking about how her her mother-in-law is like involved in planning her wedding and is making her do all these things that she doesn't want to do but she's going along with it and I'm like oh my god I just couldn't be that person I just have to take a step back like we're the ones spending the money it's our day like everyone just take a rain check please yeah, I think it's really difficult to fight for what you want when it comes to that day, because like you said, everyone has something invested in it. So they all feel like they should have a little bit of a say about what happens. I disagree. I think it should mm. be what you want it to be. And it's important <laughs> to put your foot down at the start. <laughs> I'm going to make all of my family and friends listen to this episode and be like, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can I give you an example as well about my business? Yes, yeah, go for it. My business, I would have to say that that did not start perfectly. I became freelance off of the back of being fired from a previous job, which was not really the way I wanted to enter into freelancing. Took a massive pay cut when I started. And then a few months into starting my business, found out that one of my family members was uh, terminally ill. It wasn't a perfect start for small prints, but having thankfully made the best of that uh, in a couple of months time my business will be 10 years old so it's worked out perfectly congratulations yeah 10 years that is that is a massive achievement so there's not a shadow of doubt net is my or definitely a big source of my inspiration for doing this podcast and sort of launching my own venture like your story is just so inspiring when you talked about how you launched and what you talked about what you did to start up because it's just it is such an intimidating thing to try and start something alone and to go out without the support network of, you know, the traditional job or company behind that. And when you talked about doing your cold emailing and things like this and all of the design competitions that you entered and you've just built it up. So you've built up the company so well and you should be so proud. Oh, thank you. I just think it's important to realise that you're probably never going to have all of the ducks in the row at the same time to make your dreams come true. Mm. So sometimes you just have to take the jump anyway and hope that you'll work it out as you go along, which I think is better to have tried and even failed at than to not have tried at all. Definitely. What is my favourite quote? I'm trying to recall it. It's Christina Carlson says it all the time. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to be have to start to be great. Isn't that just perfect? Oh, that's brilliant. Literally. Yeah, that sums it up perfectly. The best quote ever and perfectly on topic. Okay, then. And what is the most perfect thing you think you've ever done? Or do you think it's sort of turning 10 and turning this business into something that, you know, the amazing... Oh, no, I've got a great one for this, actually. When I was younger, and I hadn't been with my now husband very long as a boyfriend, we had booked a holiday, which got cancelled, unfortunately. But I remember him saying to me, if you could go anywhere in the world, 
where would you go if it wasn't down to money you know if it if it could be anything you could dream of where would you go and I had wanted to go to the Maldives I just had seen pictures of it and thought this looks like a fantastic place doesn't even look real so that's what I said to him we should go there and we booked it on a whim on a credit card not nearly having enough money to pay for it at the time and we went on that holiday and it was the best time we've ever had on a holiday in our 17 years together and even now we look back on it and say I'm so glad we did that at the time because it just couldn't have been better amazing oh I love that that's so sweet yeah <laughs> like wow putting that on a credit card though is... <laughs> some people might say that's a big risk but maybe I'm tempted to go and do that now <laughs> but I think that's so good in terms of talking about sort of the bigger picture and linking that into hindsight how you both say looking back you're so glad you did that I think that's a really good message to maybe inform people not to let some things hold them back like if they really want to do it and if it might benefit them in future and as you say even if your ducks aren't all in a row but there is means to do it maybe people should just go and do it yeah definitely go for it now if people want to get in touch after this episode or follow you or even maybe meet you in person how can they do that uh, well i have an instagram and some of the, the images on it do have filters on them but they're not of me so hopefully that's allowed um which is small prints design and I have a website, again, www.smallprintsdesign.com. And I've also got a LinkedIn profile, which is Annette Dukes. So I'd love to hear from anyone. And I'm very happy to go for a coffee at the point at which we're allowed to leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Annette, this has been truly amazing and very inspiring. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do this episode. Oh, thank you for letting me be part of your business venture. So far, it's been brilliant to listen to all the podcasts that you've recorded already. now for the details on this very exciting competition that we are running in partnership with Small Prince Design. Yes, I repeat, we are giving one lucky winner a completely free logo design package. Now this will include three initial concept drafts of which you can pick your favourite and Net will then send you the JPEG and social media icon of your favourite design. All you need to do is share this podcast on your Instagram, tag both at picking at perfection and at Small Prince Design, and you must be following both of these accounts. The winner will be announced shortly on both these socials, so keep your eyes peeled. Good luck to you all, and check the show notes for further terms and conditions. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I would love to hear from you either via my Instagram page or the Apple Podcast review section. Catch you on the next one where we'll continue picking at perfection.